invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. I, I uh, was thinking about being, I think, a, a sophomore in high school and going with my church youth group on a ski trip. Never been snow skiing before, and I was super excited about that. And they said, you got to go to ski uh, school when you get there. It's a half a day, and I thought, I'm not gonna, I don't want to waste half a day going to some stupid school. And, uh, but they made us do it, and so I went, and, and uh, they said, you know, the most important thing we can teach you is how to stop. Because you're going to get to the top of a mountain and come down, and you need, really need to know that. And I'm going, okay, yeah, that does seem like a valid thing I, I want to know. And uh, they said this. They said, all you got to do is cross your skis. You just, you just take the tips of them, and you just cross them, and that will, you know, stop you. Sounds great. So got top of my first hill and came careening down and I crossed my skis and I did not slow down a bit. And, uh, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm coming pretty rapidly up to this netting and wall and wall of people. And I thought, well, do I just try to bowl them all over and hope they stop me or what? So I just laid over. And I continued to try that to cross my skis and it never did work. And I thought, I'm, I'm missing something. And so finally... I got the hang of it. No one, no one taught me or anything. I, I just had to figure it out. Cross your skis, but, but I had to do a little something. I had to flex my muscles. Now, you look up here and go, where are they? I don't, <laughs> little, little muscles in my leg. I just, I, you had to dig in. So when you crossed your skis and just dug in just a little bit with that inner strength of your muscles, voila, you stop. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, what we talk about in church in terms of the spiritual realm, the things of the soul that we began last week talking about. And, and it seems a little mechanical. Do this, do that. But I trust that these are the truths of God's word. And, and here's the thing. It's up to you and up to me to put them into practice. It's up to us to lay hold of what God has given us. The strength that he offers to us to experience the spiritual realities that the Bible talks about. And we're talking about desires today. And probably in no other realm of life is that ski illustration better than desires. We get rolling downhill very fast, and we get out of control, and we don't know how to stop. We don't know how to stop feeling and experiencing the things that once were exhilarating, but now have left us out of control. And so I think the Bible's going to show us some things today in this passage that we need to learn how to lay hold of. So I want to approach this in that way. Now I need to remind you where we're at in uh, this long series. And Last week, I tried to lay a little bit of groundwork for understanding our affections. That is, the things that we desire, the things we long for, the things we love, our emotions and our feelings. I tried to lay the groundwork that those belong to the human soul, what the Bible would talk about as our soul. Now, whether or not you agree with my framework is not really all of that relevant, but what I presented was that our emotions, our feelings, are the language of the human soul. And part of the reason that's important is because we're, we're, we're prone to dismiss emotions as really being unimportant in life, but that is not true. We know by experience, actually, that our desires and feelings and our emotions are powerful 
in our lives. So last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, specifically at verses 26 through 27, thinking about anger specifically, but also as anger being indicative or in general representative of a whole group of emotions. And we said that our emotions need to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit as part of our discipleship and following the Lord Jesus. But mostly what we talked about last week was what we would consider the negative emotions. Things like anger or when we feel hatred, fear, sadness, things like that. Things that push us away from certain things, okay? So they're considered generally the negative emotions. They repel us from something. Today I want to switch the uh, 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 perspective and look at the positive pole. That is our happy emotions or things that are euphoric, things like delight and desire, things like hope and gratitude and love. All right. So we saw that negative emotions, and again, given by God for a purpose, Ephesians 4.26, it talks about, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need to deal with this, but don't sin in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Because we know that negative emotions tend to lead us into damaging and precarious situations. But what about the positive emotions? What about the things that we delight in, the things we desire, the things we chase after, the things we're attracted to? If negative emotions are like slamming on the brakes, the positive side of things is like hitting the accelerator. They drive us forward to something. And that something, folks, listen to this, can be just as dangerous and deadening and devilish when they come from a disordered life, when they come from a bad place. So I just want to remind you also that the big picture of what we're looking at in these days is about worship. How do we serve God? How do we give ourselves over to God? How does God become the center of our lives how do we worship God in the way that he desires or requires of us? Okay, that's what we are trying to figure out. And one of the most challenging aspects of worship is to worship the Lord your God with all your soul. That is with all of you, your feelings and your desires, your emotions. But God actually requires or commands us to do just that. That's fascinating to me. I used to, I would read these things in the Bible. I go, that seems harsh. God says, you have to love me. Because we're prone to think that what we feel is just out of our control. We really can't change that. But God says, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about this, Deuteronomy 28. Verses 47 through 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, thirst, and nakedness and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Why, why is God sending punishment? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. But God, we did the right things. We checked every box externally. And you're still upset about it? Yep. Because there was not gladness of heart and love for the Lord in what you did. God does not accept it. Really, that's what we have found in the book of Ezra. That the reason the Israelites were put into exile and the temple was raised was because, not because they weren't religious. They were religious. They did lots of the things 
that God told them to do. Not, not everything. But the main thing was they did not worship the Lord with the heart. So God says, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> That's fascinating. That seems so harsh. But you need to think about this. The very essence of evil and sin is when we love ourselves or any other thing more than we love God. That's what sin is. It's to prefer and to desire and chase after anything other than God. And God is so jealous about that because he knows that that leads us to ruin. And so he brings about harsh discipline when we don't love him and serve him with joy because it is wrong-headed. It leads us to destruction. Destruction of the heart, the soul, and everything that we are. So today, we're going to study a little bit about human longings and desires and what we love and what we delight in. And we're going to see this, that those things can actually be transformed. So the first place I want to start is just with this statement, and uh, you may not agree with it, but I'm right. Before we get to Galatians 5, John read our passage today. I want you to hear it all in one reading. We're going to step through it. Um, but I think it's worth recognizing this. And, and you actually know this is true. You've experienced this. Our desires and our loves, what we love, desire, and long for, can change. Those things change. How many of you really, really, really like something and you chase after it and it's something that at one time you thought was really gross or you just didn't think about it at all? I think coffee is a great one, right? First time I ever taste coffee, it smelled so good. I was like a six-year-old kid. I told my great-grandmother, give me, give me some coffee. Oh, that's hot sugar. That'll burn your tongue. And I said, well, Give me cold coffee. I invented iced coffee, by the way, and uh, back when I was six, and uh, me and my grandma, and uh, she gave me cold coffee, and I, <laughs> disgusting. Man, I'll tell you, I can't live without the stuff now. <laughs> I, I, I wake up desiring and delighting in that, and so I'll tell you, and you can find something in your life, you say, well, that's gross. Any number of things you would say at one time, I didn't even have a clue about. It wasn't even on my radar, or I thought it was nasty, or I thought it was no good. I mean, exercise is a great one, right? There are times when you're just like, that is torture. But then you start to do it. And actually, you desire to do it more and more. So our desires change, and we need to recognize that from the outset. outset. They can change. And there's a lot of people in our day and age who are driven madly by their desires, by some impulse within them, and they identify their entire life by that impulse without thinking, hey, I'm saying I'm this, but the fact is, two days ago, I was this. And two years from now, I'll be something altogether different if I equate myself with some sort of impulse or desire. But listen, our impulse, our desires and loves, they are important. So let's dig into Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to give you four important realities about our desires. And, and this is a massive subject, and this is the only sermon I'm going to give specifically to this. But I want you to understand that this is massive. This is an incredible truth of God's Word, and we don't really focus on it near enough. But four important realities about our desires, or what we love and long for and chase after. We're going to begin in Galatians 5 and verse 16. Let's look at that. It says this, 
And you're, I'm sure, familiar with this passage. But I bet you've never looked at it through the lens of worship and what we desire or chase after. So here it is. Uh, reality number one. Desires of the soul have a great power to direct what we do in life. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The desires of our soul have great power to direct what we do in life. So Paul has in mind here, listen, you're driven by the impulses of your flesh, of your human nature. You're driven, and he uses the term desire over and over throughout this passage. Desire is epithemio, it is deep longings, it's cravings, almost insatiable. It's, we can translate it lust, but it's the impulses within that drive us. It's the things that we chase after. And Paul recognizes that we walk in our lives, we live our lives largely in accord with what we desire. So we're chasing after what we long for. Desires have great power to direct what we do in life. James K.A. Smith in his book, Imagining the Kingdom, listen to this, thinking about the power of desires. He writes, We don't think our way through to action. Much of our action is not the outcome of rational deliberation or conscious choice. Much of our action is not pushed by ideas, but it's pulled out of us by our attraction. We need to appreciate that our actions are not primarily based on cognitive deliberation or even perspective, but for the most part, acquired habits, unconscious desires, and habitual patterns of behavior shaped by our environments and our previous experiences. God has engineered and wired us such that we have a soul. And that soul doesn't necessarily work out of conscious deliberation. In other words, it drives us to do certain things without really having to think about it. So we've got these desires and in in these longings. And what the soul is trying to do, the soul looks at what is at the center of our heart, what we value the most, what is in the executive control center. And it forms desires to go along with that. It pushes us. It pulls us, gives us attractions to certain things that are in accord with what is at the center of our heart. And so we have these affections, these feelings, these loves. And in some way, they kind of function like cruise control. They're like, okay, we're going in this direction. This is what the heart says, so here we go. And before you know it, our life is being driven by affections and desires that are born out of the heart. So really, the heart is what's at the center, okay? The heart, the will, and the, or the spirit. And in that place, and we've looked at this in our little circle diagram, there is something that is what we consider the most valuable. It is in the driver's seat. And the soul responds to that and begins to produce longings and loves and affections in accord with that. And then what we do, we're pushed in a certain direction and we act there's an experience, there's a little rush of adrenaline or whatever. It feels good, seems good, it's in accord. We do it again. That's repetition. And then before you know it, the mind and the body begin to do all kinds of crazy things with chemicals and brain neural pathways. And, and what happens is 
there is a little path formed in the weeds, and that is the easy direction to go. And then ruts, and then a highway. And before you know it, habitual patterns of our character born out of what is in our heart, dictated by the soul, these form, and in essence become our character. It's who we are. It's what we intuitively do. But sometimes we say, that's not us. Oh, friends, that is us. That is us. Acting out of what is at the center of our heart. So we need to recognize that. And I think the people in Galatia, I think the Galatian Christians were driven to do something because they had sinful desires. They had come to Christ. They had been saved. They had believed the gospel. But still within them, there was this war, if you will. And they were still having some of the old sinful desires that had been habituated. They were patterns. They were their character. They were their behaviors. And they knew that these things were not in accord with living as a Christian. And so they started looking for answers. What do we do? How do we change our desires? There were a group of teachers there in Galatia that Paul is not very fond of. He says they're preaching a false gospel is actually what he says. And what they were teaching the people is, well, what you need to do is follow all of the regulations of the Old Testament law. That's going to make you righteous. So one of them, he was telling these, these Gentiles, hey, you need to be circumcised. You, you've believed the gospel, but it's the gospel plus this to transform your life. And you need to follow all of these Old Testament rituals and holidays and all of these things, and that will make you right before God. In other words, do these religious duties regardless of what's going on in your soul. Paul says, no way. No way. That's external legalistic religion. And it doesn't have the power to change. What we need, folks, is a total life transformation from the inside out. Not a bunch of external rules and regulations. Because our problem is not that we're not checking the right religious boxes. Again, God says, I'm not interested in you doing some kind of religious duty because you think that's what's going to make you right. I'm interested in your heart being at the very center of your life because that is the only place where you are safe and where you will be satisfied. So desires of our soul have great power to direct our life. The people in Galatia were looking for answers and there were people giving them wrong answers. And Paul sets about to correct that. So we're going to see in verses 17 through 18, reality number two, that desires produced by the flesh, or the human nature. And desires produced by the Spirit of God are totally at odds. They are at war, if you will. Never the twain shall meet. They're completely different. Verses 17 through 18. For the flesh, that is the human nature, sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Our desires show us what's in our heart. And we need to look at them and say, are the desires and delights and loves and affections that I have, are they in line with the things of God? Or do they appear to be things that occur 
when I am my own God. When I have placed myself and my desires and my flesh and what I want at the very center of my life. At the end of verse 17, Paul makes an interesting statement, and I've, I've really looked into this this week trying to figure out what he's saying, the telos or the, the thing that you are pleased to do, the thing that you really want to do is not going to happen by the power of your flesh. You alone, in your human nature, cannot produce what you actually want. What you actually want is to be satisfied and to experience the greatest good and to have your delights and your desires fulfilled. That's what you want. And he says, that's what you want and that's what we all want. But the way you chase it down when you are at the center of your life, when you are enthroning yourself, you'll never attain it. You're impotent. You are impotent. You are lacking in power and ability to have your desires fulfilled when you are at the center. And the Galatian Christians were operating in the flesh, doing what they could do. And he says, you're never going to get there. You're never going to do what you want you're never going to be satisfied. So we've got this war between the flesh and the spirit, the desires of the human nature versus the desires of the spirit. And listen, desires are powerful things. And we need to know how to fight wrong desires. I love it. John Piper talks about, he's got this phrase called, uh, uh, he said, we try to fight flesh tanks with pea shooter regulations. We fight flesh tanks with pea shooter regulations. In other words, our flesh is powerful. And what the Christians in Galatia were trying to do was to shoot at these tanks with little pea shooters and overpower them. And the pea shooters were rules and regulations in the Old Testament law. He says, you're never going to make any headway. Can you imagine the Ukrainians standing at the border with water pistols? As the Russians threatened to come with jets and tanks and all kinds of oversized weapons and they sit there and they squirt water guns at them you think they're going to repel them at all no we need to know how to fight the desires of our flesh that are like tanks if we are going to win the battle and ultimately what i would say to you is a bunch of rules and regulations are not going to do it actually what paul seems to indicate is that human religion just operating in our own power is actually nothing more than fleshly garb. It's powerless. It's actually more of the same thing. You know what religion produces when it comes from ourselves? Pride, arrogance, I'm better than you, I'm higher than you, I know more than you, I'm right, you're wrong, and that was going on in Galatia. So now let's move. Before we get to how we fight those flesh tanks, which is by the Spirit, by the way. I want you to see one more reality. Real, reality number three about our desires is that living out the desires of the flesh produce disastrous results. Living out the desires of the flesh, just what we can come up with in our own human nature and in our own power, will produce disastrous results, even when they're religious even when they're religious. And so Paul gives here, let's look at 19 through 21, the deeds of the flesh. Now, I would ask you this question. Do you feel like at this, how about today? 
How about this last week? Would you say that you're operating in the desires that God has or the desires that are of the flesh? Have you in this last week, could you look at your life and say, I'm producing or the Lord is producing in me the fruit of the Spirit or bad fruit that is diseased and deadly and decaying? We need to ask that question. And you go, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's look. Let's look at the list at the different things that are produced in the life. And there's only two paths. Either God's at the center of your heart or you are. Some, something that you have put there. And here's what he says are the desires of the flesh, the disastrous results that come, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Roughly, there's three categories here. The first one is sensual and spiritual idolatries. He talks about sexual immoralities. You can think about pornography, violence, sensuality. There's some false religious stuff, sorceries. So sensual and spiritual idolatries. When we're operating in the flesh, there is some sort of craving that we chase after. And it's almost insatiable. And we go after it harder and harder. And we're never actually satisfied so sensual and spiritual idolatries. Here's the one that I think the Galatians were struggling with, and it's wrecked relationships. Enmity. That is, there's hostility in your relationships. Hostility between you and the people, actually, that you should love and that you are around. You're standing against one another. You're facing off like you're at war with the very people that you should be at peace with. There is strife in your relationships. So... Keep in mind what we're thinking about is when my soul is operating out of a certain condition of my heart, these are the things produced. So when I am at the center of my heart, my soul is doing things, desires and longings, and then that produces things like enmity and strife, conflict, arguing, constant dissension. I'm jealous of people. There are angry outbursts at others. Rivalries. Dissensions, divisions, factions, splinter groups. And I think this is what's happening in Galatia. And the reason I think that is because at the very end of this chapter, he encourages them again not to become boastful and challenging one another and envying one another. I think this category, the wrecked relationships, I think where you see this the worst is in churches. In churches where people are walking in the flesh and they think, that they are doing the work of God. We're thinking about worship here. And I think all of us would say we come to church, at least one of the major purposes is to worship. And what we should say is to worship God, not ourselves. And if we're worshiping God, the soul is going to produce the kind of desires that produce the kind of fruit that doesn't look like this. Dissension, enmity, strife, divisions, war parties. It is not produced. All right? 
So I think we need to see that. I think that's what's happening in Galatia. And I think this is what's happening in churches all around our country. And I think this kind of thing is happening in churches much closer to home. And it's not worship of God. It's caused by worship of self. And the last category is lack of self-control. People that are going out and getting drunk, participating in orgies and the like, they just totally are intemperate and lack self-control. So these are the disastrous results. And why I say they're disastrous is because he says, the final result, for people who do these things, I have told you before and I'm telling you again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things do not belong in God's kingdom. And so we need help because in all of our power, with all of our good intentions, we cannot produce right desires and right fruit by ourselves. It's just, it's just impossible. Reality number four is that only the Spirit of God can produce new loves, new affections, new desires, new longings, and the positive conditions of the soul that we really want. That's in verses 22 through 6. Let's look at those briefly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful. Challenging one another. Envying one another. Here, here you go. Let's not make the fruit of the Spirit a vacation Bible school craft. That's what we do. We say, oh, the fruit. Oh, fruit's fun. We go, we go back to Sunday school and we remember coloring the apples and all of that. Let's think deeply now about this for just a minute. What, when the Spirit is in control, when God is at the center of our hearts, our soul will produce longings and desires that are in line with Him. And that will bear fruit in our lives. So if soul, the soul is the center of the emotions, what I would invite you to do is look at the first three fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. Those sound an awful lot like emotional conditions. Love, joy, and peace. We need those things. Wouldn't you rather have love, joy, and peace than dissension, hatred, strife, jealousies, enmities? <laughs> yeah. God's Spirit produces those things when He is in control of our lives. When we give Him the throne of our heart, those things will be produced in our soul. And then they'll work their way out to other things, other kingdom character traits like patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Those are the polar opposite of all of those works of the flesh that He first gave us. So we need to hold those in contrast. And listen, these things are helpful diagnostic tools. Because I'm going to tell you something. Our hearts are twisted and messed up and at war. And a lot of times we think we're doing great. Yes, 
I worship God. Yes, Jesus is at the center of my life. Jesus is Lord. I made that profession of faith many years ago. Is he still the Lord of your life? Today, is he Lord of, the, of your life? I'm not saying did you lose your salvation. I'm saying are you still walking by the gospel truth that Jesus is Lord? Do you worship him more than you worship yourself? And how do we lay hold of this stuff? It gives us some hints. These dynamic personal changes, these new desires, this new way of living, it's produced, number one, by those who belong to Jesus. That's what he says here. Those who belong to Jesus. Those who have come to a point in their life where they say, I'm dead to the old self. I know that that wayward stuff, actually, it promised great things for me, but it led me to the pit of despair. But praise God, he offered salvation to me forgiveness and a new life and I'm dead to that old self that's what happens when you get saved you turn from that and you turn and you accept the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and it is transformative and Jesus we saw in John chapter 3 says Nicodemus you must be born again when you come to Jesus you are born anew you're given a new identity a new name a new life and you're giving, given something else, the Spirit of God, to reside in you. And that overwhelming love of Jesus comes in and, man, it changes everything. But listen, we still walk in the same bodies. You get saved and you're going to walk out of that place with a brand new spirit in you. You walk out forgiven of your sins but you also walk out in that same old body that has been habituated and used to certain sinful patterns. And those patterns have got to be broken. The total transformation of the life is what salvation is all about. But there's a bunch of people who have lost sight of that. I think that forgiveness of past sins is all there is. No, it's a total transformation. Born again to new life. We've crucified the flesh, and we have to keep on doing that. We have to, every day, moment by moment, avail ourselves of the Spirit of God. Back in verse 6, and I need to wrap it up. I know I've been getting along these last few weeks. Some of y'all have told me about that. Thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> yeah, seriously, now we're trying to cross our skis here. Now we're trying to, to lay hold, put a little power to it, figure some things out. What are we supposed to do? How many of y'all feel a little convicted here? Am I convicted? Is, is the spirit convicting anybody here? Okay. The goal is not to make you feel bad so you walk out and try to do a bunch of religious stuff in the flesh. That's the opposite of the goal. What we want to do is recognize that, man, when we're born again, we have a brand new life and we have the spirit of God living in us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That the spirit of the living God has come into the core of your life. And moment by moment, we're supposed to walk in step with him. That's what it says. Walk in step with the spirit. The spirit of God is working to produce right desires, right affections, right loves, right passions in you. But you have to yield to him. You have to say, yes, I want to walk in step with the Spirit. And what happens is, 
on occasion, we just lose sight of that. And we go back to the old patterns, the old way, the old loves, or maybe a new devilish love. We're tempted to go in a way we shouldn't. And what we have to do is avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit of God. Back in verse 6, if you've got your Bible open, underline that or, or write, jot that down. Galatians 5, 6. Here's what matters, not circumcision, not a bunch of rules. Here's what matters. Faith energized by love. Faith intersecting love. Coming back over and over again to the, to the simple fact that Jesus loves me. Jesus gives grace where I need grace. He's there to help me. He saved me. And he wants to do something in my life today. So there's faith. But listen, faith and love. Not just faith and a bunch of facts. That God is eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Not, not, not faith and a bunch of facts. Faith and love. The core thing that we need is love. That is the very essence of God's character from which everything else really flows. And so we need faith energized by love. The flesh is the total opposite of true love. The lust of the flesh, you know what it does? It looks at an object and says, I love it, but actually what it wants to do is consume it or take hold of it and squeeze the sap out of it and get what it wants. Love wills the good of the other. Faith energized by love. Those are your two skis that you need to cross and you need to figure out. And I can't do it for you. Only God can do it. We've got to figure out how to lay hold of those truths moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, so that we can worship God. And we do worship God with all of our heart our minds, and our souls, and our strength. Folks, this is super important. Here's the invitation. We're going to take just a moment, and uh, again, I know maybe, maybe things have been a little emotional the last couple of weeks. Number one, I would just say this, because God is doing something in me. Helping open, open up some new vistas in some areas of my life that I have said, mm, let's keep you out of that closet. How about you don't go there? That's not very comfortable for me. And there's probably nowhere more uncomfortable than getting down into what we desire and our longings and even our lusts. So here's the invitation today. It's twofold. Number one, I want to ask you, have you ever been born again? Have you ever come to the end of yourself and said, I know my life is a wreck. I am in the pit of despair. I need help. I need salvation. My life is basically slavery to a bunch of lusts and wrongheadedness. Have you ever come to that point, to the end of yourself, and come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and ask for eternal life? If you've never done that, that is the starting point to worshiping God. You must be born again. But for the rest of you, you say, I've done that. 
I want to ask you this. Is there any area in your life where you know you are out of step with the holiness and goodness and the love of God? Day by day, persistently, you're pursuing something that does not match up with the character of the king and his kingdom. Would you be willing to lay that down and ask him to empower you for new life in that area of your life? Would you bow with me today? I want to give some space and time again for us to do business with the Lord. And I want you to think about just what your last week has looked like. Have you been at peace? Have you been experiencing a joy? Not a, not a superficial joy and happiness and, and everything went right in your life. But regardless of the circumstances, that there is a joy of salvation in you. Has there been love in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationships with people in the church or in your workplace, with your neighbor? Has love, joy, and peace been the condition of your soul? If not, Let's go to the Lord and invite him to bring his love and grace into your life, to show you afresh and anew how much he has loved you in spite of everything else that's happened in your life. Ask him for a fresh wave and taste of his grace and love. Have you lost your first love? Have you lost sight of Jesus? Look to him today. Lay at his feet the burden of your heart. The area in your life that has just been a total wreck and a weakness, maybe for months, maybe for years, as long as you can remember. Yield control to the Spirit of God in your life, in that area. That's what He wants. And He'll take care of the rest. I'm just going to invite you in this time as the music plays. I'm just going to give some space for you to pray. If you want to come here up here, you can pray. If you want to grab somebody and pray. Maybe there's something else you need to do. Amanda broken relationship I don't, I don't know what you need to do but the Lord will tell you would you respond today
Lord, would you help us as your people? We know that you long to restore and to renew and to give new life where there's been deadness. We just, we just believe that. We know from the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. We know how much you love us. And Lord, today, as your people, we recognize that we're still racked by a human nature that is at war with the work that you want to do by your spirit in us. So we yield to you today. Lord, we want to lay down sinful patterns and habits and to learn new desires, to delight in the right things, to receive the peace and love and joy of the soul that comes from walking in step with your spirit. So help us, Lord. Do in us what we could never do on our own. By the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, produce fruit in us that is delightful, that is good, that brings joy and peace. Lord, would you strip away the religious veneer and things that we try to do to be justified, but in the end, they only make things worse. Would you help us with that? Lord, we depend on your mercy and grace this morning. And I pray, God, that what would come of all of this in these weeks is, is changed hearts and lives and perspectives and loves that we would truly become people who are true worshipers of the living God and that we would experience the power and the presence and the beauty that comes with life in the kingdom. So we pray all of these things with open hands, recognizing our need, Lord. Help us breathe life afresh and anew into each Christian this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hey, listen, I'm going to go ahead and, and let, you, uh, let you be.